There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 349. And today we are back with our last bonus turkey hunting podcast, and our guest is outdoor writer and turkey hunting extraordinaire, Andrew Johnson, who's going to be speaking with us and going deep into the world of turkey vocalizations. All right, welcome to the Wired Hunt Podcast brought to you by Onyx. Today, we are joined by Andrew Johnson. He's an outdoor writer and contributor to such publications as Turkey and Turkey Hunting Magazine and Meat Eater. And Andrew is going to help us examine six of the most common turkey vocalizations that every hunter should know. And we're going to explore what they mean to a turkey, how to replicate them as a hunter, and when and how to do this in a hunting situation. So in short, we're getting some great turkey calling advice and know-how from a very well-informed and experienced turkey hunter. I'm going to say, though, real quick before we move on, if you're enjoying all this bonus turkey hunting content and you've got some more turkey tags to fill, make sure you head over to TheMeatEater.com and check out all of our turkey hunting articles. We've put up dozens and dozens of new turkey stories, and it's really good stuff, so head on over there to do some reading as soon as you can. So now, with that out of the way, without further ado, Let's get into our turkey chat with Andrew Johnson. All right, with me now on the line is Andrew Johnson. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate you uh, taking some time to do this and being flexible with me. Off off air, we were just talking about I've had a newborn, just nuclear cataclysmic fit going on here in our household, so it's been an interesting day. But uh, I'm glad we can talk turkeys and... You know, what we're doing here, Andrew, is a series of bonus, short and sweet turkey hunting episodes here on Wired to Hunt, bringing in various experts to talk about specific turkey topics here during the month of April. So for folks that aren't familiar with who you are, what you do, can you give us like the really short, sweet intro to who you are and, and what you what your turkey hunting experience or, or background is? Sure. Um, well, I'm a South Dakota kid and I grew up hunting pheasants primarily and then and that kind of evolved into deer hunting and turkey hunting and 
Oh, about 10 or 15 years ago, I got a job with a national turkey hunting magazine called Turkey and Turkey Hunting. And at the time, I literally hadn't even hunted turkeys, more or less killed one. So I basically stumbled through a couple of years of editing stories on turkeys and turkey hunting and also learning from some of the best in the business. And then, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've heard it before and also people who've experienced it. Once, once one rattles his head off on his way in, you're hooked. So since that time, um, yeah, I, I try to get out every spring and we're going to make a run at it here in the Black Hills if things pan out this spring. But uh, no, it's good to talk about turkeys and the outdoors and thinking of brighter days ahead. Yeah, this is definitely a time when we need uh, a nice distraction like turkey hunting more than ever. Yeah. So so with that said then, you, you've also done some writing for Meat Eater. And a recent article of yours really caught my attention about turkey vocalizations and the six most important turkey vocalizations to know about. So I thought maybe the way we could frame our quick conversation here is, is just around what those six are um, sure. and just kind of walk through what, what they mean, why they're important, how we as hunters should, should use those calls possibly. So, so to kick it off, I guess you wrote in that article that the problem in many cases is that Oftentimes, when turkey hunters go out in the spring, they have these very one-sided conversations. I think you rewrote specifically the quote here is, The problem, however, is that springtime conversations often become one-sided as hunters hammer away without realizing the meaning of the calls they're using. So, right out the gate, Andrew, why is that a problem? Why is it an issue that hunters are calling away without knowing what the heck their calls mean? Sure. Um, well, just like anything else... Um, there, there's context involved. And context is a relative term in, in the turkey woods. I mean, calls you use right away in the morning are different than in the afternoon. Um, they vary by region, um, you know, different things like that. Where, And I'm guilt, I've been guilty of this a number of times, too, is I'll, I'll pick up a new call and I'll sit in my basement and think, man, I sound really good. And, and as soon as I step into the turkey woods, I want to use it. I just want to hammer away, and that's not really how you want to go about it. I mean, less is more, and that's why that's why I said it's, it's a one-sided conversation. Is we're more interested in in our calls and just hearing ourselves yelp and really sound good, rather than trying to ease into a conversation with those birds and then start the back and forth. How do you think about that com- like do you, when you're out there in the woods and you are hearing how birds are responding to you do you literally know you literally hear a hen yelp or a hen do something or a bird gobble and you say okay that means x now i'm going to respond in this kind of way or is it a little more subtle than that sure everything has to be taken into consideration now if you can if you can see the birds and there's a boss hen in there and and she cuts you off you know if you start yelping and she cuts you off and starts walking the other way well you got to change your strategy and figure out how you can get in with her first before you start trying to go after her gobbler. Whereas if, if you are walking through and you're just kind of running and gunning and you hit a box call on a series of yelps and a gobbler blows your doors off and, and then every, everything you throw at him, he's cutting you off. Well, then you, you know, you're, you're in business. So it's, it's a give and take. And 
I've I've screwed up more hunts than I've had success at. Let me let me throw that out there. And you have to learn from those. And instead of just hanging your head and you know walking back to the truck trying to figure out what went wrong, you have to look at what went right and see. Well, I got to this point. How can I carry it a step further? Yeah. And a lot of that has to do with that conversation because they're telling you stuff not only with the calls they use, but with their body posture, how they're moving around, different things like that. Yeah, that's a great point. Let, let's drill down into then that aspect of what they're telling you, specifically with the vocalizations. The sure. The six main vocalizations you talked about were the yelp, the tree yelp, clucks and putts, cutting, purring, and gobbling. Uh, let's start at the top of the yelp. What... And I guess maybe, do you have stuff with you to actually give us the sound of what you would say each of these sounds like? Well, I do. And um, also for for those in the audience who are new, I wrote this. Um, I used to work with Spencer. Spencer used to write for me with an outdoor publication I ran here in the Dakotas, Spencer Newarth from yep. Meat Eater. And he reached out and said, hey, I need a, a basic 101 piece on turkey calls and vocalizations. Um, one thing I didn't include in there, but it's a, it's an awful useful resource is the NWTF has wild turkey sounds on its website and it runs through all of them. And, um, the way I learned how to do some of these calls, and I know the way some other people have learned how to do these calls is by playing the audio files online and then trying to replicate them on a box call, slate call, mouth call, what have you. Yeah. Um, so, so for starters, um, I just wanted to throw that out there that, uh, because I'm, I'm not a good caller. I'm not, I know what to listen for and, and know those audible cues on when I can move and when I should approach or when I should back off. But as far as the calling goes, I mean, I'm average, average at best. So is it fair though to say that, that that's, that's almost reassuring to hear, yeah, and, I think, and and it's good enough, and it it's like anything else. A um, little bit of luck comes into play, but also um, so understanding when you should use a call is almost as important as how it should sound. If that makes sense, no, it does. Because you don't like our conversation. You didn't phone me up and say goodbye, Andrew. You know, your <laughs> your the first words out of your mouth were, "Hey, how are you?" It's kind of the same with turkey calls because if you show up and just start cutting and yelping as loud as you can right away, I mean, I, I can only imagine the turkeys kind of look at each other and say, like, what is, what is this dude or gal doing? I mean, this, that isn't how they communicate. It's out of context. Huh. So that's why we, and I, I picked these six basic calls because they're pretty much universal and they're the most, I would say the most used or most heard, um, you know, Biologists have found 29 different calls. Um, some say they're 30, some say there's 25. But you get the idea. There's literally dozens of calls turkeys use, and in the woods, every given spring, you're only going to hear four or five, maybe six. I mean, that's that's about the extent of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you if you want to, so if if people want a, a tangible resource, I would encourage them going to nwtf.org. Um, but yeah, I have some calls here that can show you how poor of a caller I am, <laughs> as well as um, 
you know, proof that being average at this is okay. Yeah. I, like I said, I like the fact that it's okay just to be average and you can still get it done when you have this more holistic understanding of knowing the context, knowing what it means, knowing when to apply it. Uh, that's, that's really great to know. So, so can yeah. you give us a really quick example? Okay. What's a Yelp? And then talk me through the context of that, what, what it means and what we should be thinking about when using it as a hunter. Sure. Yelp, it, it's basically kind of the foundation for the rest of the calls. It's the most generic turkey call there is. You know, and that I could have combined Yelps and tree Yelps into one because essentially they're the same thing, but a Yelp is a Yelp. It's a two-note call. Um, a lot of people, especially with mouth calls, have trouble making the first note of the call, which is typically a higher pitch, breaking down into lower pitch. So I have a slate call on hand, um, and it's an acrylic or glass call, um, but I, I chose it because when I drag the striker slowly across the surface, you'll be, I won't make the yelp at first. I want to make the two notes first. So it'll be a drawn-out call where you hear the high pitch to low pitch. So let's see if I can get it to where you can hear it. It'll be high to low. So it's almost like a teenager whose voice is cracking just in the opposite direction if that yep. kind of puts it into context. So being, so did that come through okay? Yeah, sounded great. Right on. So now that you hear the high to low and with kind of that break, um, now you add the rhythm and tone and context to it. Because, again, in the, you're trying to sound like a lovesick hen. Like you're, This is going against their nature. In nature, the gobbler gobbles and hens go to him. So you're trying to coax him along and, and – you know, I, I hate to say it, but it's like you're saying, hey, big boy, I'm over here. You yeah. know what I mean? So a little tone, a little rhythm, and a little cadence. That's about all it is. And so, so this is basically that wooing call, letting them know, like, hey, we're over here. Um, now when you're hearing that, now, so the opposite, you, you like to make that call, try to bring them to you, but what if you hear turkeys out there yelping um knowing okay there's some hens out there they're yelping what does that tell you and how does that change your plans when you hear another real live bird doing that sure i tr i try to match the hens and i i think that's a common sentiment a, mm -hmm. a lot around a lot of turkey hunters is i'm using the same language so to speak she's using so if she's cutting me off you know as i yelp i'm gonna cut and i'm gonna cut her right right off the next time she makes a sound trying you're trying to spar with her and raise her curiosity and raise her uh territorial awareness because turkeys are territorial man i mean they they just are um and hens are that way too so if you can if you're calling to a group of birds where a gobbler is flocked up you're not really calling to the gobbler you're calling at the hens you're trying to work your way in with them now the reason i chose this acrylic call also is it is it has a little bit of rasp, but if I want to play kind of a more submissive tone, I have another call here from, um, it was a birthday present from a buddy of mine from CNS Custom Calls, but it's a, a slate call. Now, there isn't as much rasp, which, I mean, what I've learned out here in the prairie birds that I hunt a lot is I'm always hunting birds that are flocked up, so I have to deal with the hen a lot. If I'm more submissive, I found it gives me a fighting chance. If I try to be as bossy as her, 
um, in the wide open where there's where where they know. I mean, they're looking around and they know exactly what's going on. You're not hidden by ravines and and hardwood trees. You're you're exposed. But if I go soft without rasp and kind of more subtle, and and try to almost be you know the little sister to that hen, I've had more luck. So here's a um, a different slate call, and you'll be able to hear that it's not as raspy. So it's a little bit higher, not nearly as, I mean, it, the sound will carry because of the calls make, but without hardly putting any pressure with the striker, I don't want, I don't want to get raspy or bossy at all. I want to be soft and subtle. Yeah. I was going to ask, you mentioned a little bit earlier the fact that there's, there, there's a certain level of importance with how you start a conversation, you know, the context of how you begin conversations and them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in the turkey world, where does a Yelp fit into a conversation? Is it okay to start with the Yelp or should you ease into a little bit more? No, a Yelp, a Yelp is a great way to start the conversation. Um, you just don't want to, you know, if you have birds roosted and, and you know you're set up within a roosting location, you, you don't want to start yelping and just hammering away before the birds are even awake. This is a call that you would work into with tree Yelps, which is the second um, call that everyone should know. And it's just a very, very soft, subtle call used when birds are still on the limb. And it's really nasally because they make it almost with their beaks closed as they're waking up, you know, trying to sort out the pecking order for day. And um, gobblers are gobbling, trying to collect their harem. Hens are answering. If you ease into the conversation with a trio, it's much more realistic than cutting and yelping and just coming in guns blazing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Can you give us an example of that? Uh, of a trio? Yeah. A trio, um, typically with a mouth call works a lot better. I don't have a mouth call with me. Uh, you can make it with any call, a friction call or a mouth call. Um, but it's it's soft and subtle, and it's very leading, or almost, how would I say it? It's almost pleading. Hmm. So it's, it's just very soft. If you were in the woods and, and there, you know the birds are still on the limb, I mean, they're awful hard to hear the way it is. If the wind's blowing at all and you're, you're upwind, you're not going to hear it. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear what I like to do on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, which gives you great smoke at 180 degrees, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. 
It's got a full great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. This this, this is my way of bowl saying. If I was going to cook roast one way, that's how I like to do it. Sear roast. Utilize the smoke boost setting to intensify that smoky flavor. Direct flame cooking creates searing, crisping, and browning. Food is going to look as good as it tastes. This grill gets hot in 15 minutes. Cleanup is easy. Cook confidently with intuitive digital controls at the grill and enjoy the sleek, easy-to-use surface. You can also add a heavy-duty rotisserie or rust-resistant griddle insert to up your game. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. What's your perspective on calling then on the roost so is it just tree yelps or are you gonna are you gonna get into a regular yelp and then shut up and then not talk until they come down there's a lot of debate around how much to call it's when i first you know when i first started turkey hunting i think like a lot of people it's so tempting that every time they gobble back to you when they're on the roost and they do many times you just want to keep them talking and then you can just go and go and go and i found that was not such a good idea eventually what's your take on that I'd, I'd agree completely. And that what you just described is a perfect example of how that conversation becomes one-sided and you become tone deaf to what's really going on. Um, less when the birds are on the limb, less is more. And I don't, I don't make any kind of sounds until I hear a bird gobble or hear a hen yelp, whether it's from a roost next door or the roost I'm hunting or, you know, way off in the distance. I want that that audible cue that it's okay to start making turkey talk. And then if I'm using decoys, um, I will throw out a, a, a tree yelp, just basically saying, Hey, I'm over here, just a soft indicator, you know, and if they hear it great, if not, not a big deal. It is what it is. Sometimes they're going to hear that call. Sometimes they're not based on the terrain and wind and everything else. Um, but it, it's okay to throw one or two out, but by rule of thumb, I wait for them to make the first move. Um, if your decoys are in a spot where those rooster birds can see you in the morning or even mid-morning or mid-afternoon, um, it's okay to throw out a, a yelp just to kind of draw their attention. But then you have to kind of let them make the next move. So once that happens, then you, you throw a little yelp, they gobble back. Um, how long will you carry on from that point? Or is it is it then done? Now you know, okay, they... Now I'm here. Now I'm waiting until they come down. Um, if, if we're talking still on the roost, yeah. If they're still on the roost, I um, if if I put a tree yelp out and they in a and I if now it's different. If it, if I have a gobbler roosted alone and I know he's alone, it's rare. But it, if I know he's alone, then I'm I'm gonna try and get him with anything I can before another hen comes into play or before he joins up another group of birds. Um, but if he's roosted or multiple gobblers are roosted with some hens and everything, I mean, I'm playing by their rules. They have an established pecking order and I just kind of want to fit in. So if he cuts my tree yelp off and if I cluck and he gobbles, if he's gobbling at a cluck before I, you know, before he's off the limb, I mean, we're, we're in business, but if it's all quiet on the Western front, I just let it sit. If he's given me an answer and, and I know he knows where I'm at, I'm going to let him make the next move. Absolutely. But if it, if he's, if he is incessant, if he's, I mean, if he's tuned up to the point where 
you could sneeze and he's going to gobble. I mean, I, I keep going after him because I don't want, I want him to stay focused on me because other, other hens are going to hear this. They're going to hear him and move in. And I, I want to, I want it to be a one-on-one phone call from that point on. Yeah. You mentioned clucks, which is your next vocalization, clucks and putts. Yeah. Uh, can you talk, talk us through what those mean, what they sound like? Yeah, clucks and putts, man, I mean, they're hard to know the difference, um, which is also why I kind of said you have to take body language into consideration. If you can hear a bird clucking, I think I wrote some like it's like a Marco Polo. You ever play that game when you were growing up? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you say it's just their way of keeping tabs on one another. And that's how it was explained to me. And I, that's, I mean, hens are making noise all the time. They're purring and clucking all the time. Uh, whether you can hear it or not, it's just constant. So it's a, it's an everyday, I mean, every minute, basically part of their conversation while they're walking around. So it's very natural to add into the conversation from a hunting perspective, just kind of reminding them, hey, I'm over here. And it, it's just a short staccato note that is basically uh, like a locator call. So the bad thing is, is an alarm putt, if danger's around or if you get busted, sounds very similar. But a, a bird running away making the sound as opposed to a bird just picking its way through an alfalfa field context again is important because that'll tell you what kind of call it is so another way to look at a cluck is how we say the word dude like you know you can inflect the word dude about 40 different ways you know dude 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 you know there's (laughs) all these and we all know what they mean turkeys know the the meaning so when when you're throwing out clucks you want to make it sound like hey i'm over here i know where you're at and then if they respond to that, then clucking is a way to lead into cutting and more yelping to carry on the conversation. Okay. So is, I'd, yeah, is a, that something a, you can give us a little example of too? Yeah. On a, on a, uh, it's really easy to do. It's much easier than a Yelp from my experience on a mouth call, but on a slate call or even on a box call, you can replicate a cut. Um, first of all, for anyone listening who hasn't ever run a friction call, whether it's a box call or a, or a pot and peg call or a slate call, the striker or the, the friction surfaces should never leave contact from one another. So you're not moving the striker, picking it up, and replacing it back on the surface. It stays in contact the whole entire time. Same thing with the paddle on a box call. It stays in contact with the box the entire time, whether you're going back and forth or, or whatever. But on a, on a pot call or a slate call, a cluck is, is really easy to make. It's just short, staccato note. And you can lead into it with a yelp or whatever. It's a cluck. And that's about all it is. Short and sweet. Short and sweet. Louder is kind of a dude. You know, and a softer is just a hey. I'm over here, dude. Yeah. So that's kind of how I picture it in my mind. Yeah. I like that. I was going to transition to if, if you've got the Yelp, which is kind of sweet talking a little bit and the clucks and putts are kind of like the dude right here. Then the next thing I feel like if we're transitioning through our conversation is cutting, which 
at least from the way I've understood it, has always been a much more aggressive situation when you get to that. Um, am I right in that? And, and if so, can you give me a little more context with how you think about it? Yeah, cutting isn't a normal part, part of the conversation. I, I think that might be a way to phrase it. Cutting is um, definitely next level as far as the conversation goes. Um, if you have a gobbler wound up or if you're sparring with a hen and she's working, like, you can tell she's coming toward you, whether you can see her or just hear her. Um, cutting is a way to take it to the next level. Um, and I, I finally pulled up the article so I could read, <laughs> so I could read exactly what I wrote. Um, but it's, yeah, it's an intense series of loud erratic cluck, clucks. There's no rhythm. There's no rhyme or reason. Um, but it's, you know, you can cluck. No, I'm on a box call now. So you can cluck like cluck and lead into cuts like that. Um, and if, yeah, if they respond to that, you are, you're in business. I mean, this is, this is a closing the deal type of call. Or if gobblers are hung up and they're, they're fired up, but they're just not committing past that, you know, the 40 yard mark. If you're you know, talking about ethical shotgun range or whatever your comfortable bow range is, um, if, if you want to lead them a step further, I mean, it does not hurt to try cutting. And if, you know, if, if their posture changes and that kind of scares them off, then and you read that body language, okay, now I back off. I go back to what was working and got them to this point. Yeah. But on a, on a slate call, you can just cut and lead into a, a series of yelps. Yeah. And the goat, so that's that, that's breaking the hang up. It's an added degree of realism that can, um, you know, it can either fire a bird up to make him cross that threshold that he won't break from, or it can help engage that boss hen even more. Yeah. So that's like the aggressive approach to dealing with a hung up bird. I feel like the next vocalization is a little bit like the passive approach where sometimes I thought, okay, I got to get, I really got to get after him. So I'll start cutting the flip side is sometimes I'm thinking, you know what? Okay. I'm just gonna, I'm going to lay back now and I'm just going to shut up completely or I'll just do a little bit of light purring just so you know, something's still here. Is that, is that how you ever look at it with this next vocalization, which is purring as I alluded? Yeah. And purring is a close contact call. If a bird's, 500 yards away on a ridge, he's not going to hear you purring, right? Mm-hmm. So this is close quarters combat just as another, you're trying to put one more nail in that bird's coffin. Uh, purring, a lot of guys purrs and cluck, clucks together. I mean, it's a lethal, lethal combo. Again, because birds do it all day long. I think if um, one way I might try to do this is yeah on the nwtf site that i mentioned earlier they actually have a 10 second clip it's a cluck and purr and i'm going to crank my volume up on my computer see if you can hear this oh yeah yeah and so it's a I mean, turkeys eat all day long, and when they're just strolling through the woods, it's a 
it's a territorial call and it's also a call of contentment. And so you, you're going to pull that out when, again, there's something close, but they need to just yeah. have that reassurance. Yep. Everything's all right. I'm in my, if, especially if I'm using decoys and if I have a mouth call in, um, purring and clucking on a mouth call, man, it, it probably took me three or four years before I had something that sounded somewhat like a turkey. Um, but it's, if you can, you try to use it with a mouth call because if turkeys are that close. You don't want to be running a, a striker across the slate or having right. to adjust your hands to get back on the gun. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's just reassuring them that, yeah, I'm a turkey. I'm over here. Um, if you want to keep coming this way and check me out, you're more than welcome. Yeah. So the, the next vocalization then, we've talked through a lot of calls that the hens are making. But the last one is gobbling. So, of course, we, we know what a turkey gobble sounds like. That's the sound we're all turkey hunting for. That's the thing that gets us yeah. gets us amped up and excited. Um, but talk to me about how you interpret gobbles. When we, when we hear a turkey gobble, are there different types of gobbles that make you think differently? Or is the timing or cadence or like how often they're doing it? Are there any things like that that you're listening for that then change your strategy? Yeah, um, sometimes gobbles, I mean, it's the only true mating call. All these other calls turkeys use throughout the entire year for different purposes. There isn't a hen call out there that's strictly for mating. Gobbling is strictly for mating. And I think when you're in the woods, you can, you can tell if, if it's a gobble. If a gobble, if a tom is just gobbling on the roost, just a gobble, I mean, it'll ring out and you'll hear it. But when he's all fluffed up and fired up at at fifty yards or even a hundred yards, you can tell there's just there's more guts to it. If that makes sense, it just it's throatier and and deeper. And when they mean business and when they're fired up, um, it's at a different a different level. Yeah. Do do you ever make gobbles? Is that something that's in your repertoire? I've I've tried and years ago I had one of those gob gobble shaker things yeah, you know where yeah. you shake it, um, but I I I personally don't use them. Um, I will use other sounds in addition to calling, like I'll scratch leaves and I'll take my hat off and beat it against a tree to make like wing, wing beat sounds, like I'm flying off the roost in the morning. Um, different audible cues like that you can it just enhances your your setup or your calls, but gobbling. No, I leave that to the gobblers. <laughs> Plus <laughs> I've, I've tried, I've tried to do it on a mouth call and every other way. And I, I don't know. I don't sound anything like a Turkey. Yeah. So, so this is, um, obviously imperative stuff to understand when it comes to getting out there and, and talking with turkeys, understanding some of the stuff you've covered. It's great. What would be, uh, if we're going to close it down because these are much shorter and sweeter than my usual episodes, I feel weird shutting it down so soon because it's so great. But um, that's what we're trying to stick to. Um, that's all right. What would be that? I mean, having edited turkey and turkey hunting, having talked to so many great turkey hunters, been out there so much yourself, probably been with some people that are still learning maybe as well. What's that thing that so many people are, are screwing up? What's that mistake that 
is is haunting so many of us when it comes to calling or understanding calling. Um, if we could correct that one thing, what would that be? Sure. Um, without a doubt, it's calling too much. 100%. People, um, the best turkey hunters um, that I've hunted with, and I've I've had... I've been blessed to hunt with some of the greats, you know, Eddie Salter, Alex Rutledge, Tad Brown, Chris Parrish, Steve Stoltz, Brian Lovett. These guys, the biggest thing, the ace in their back pocket is that they have that most other people don't is patience. And they will wait out a bird until the cows come home. They won't say, they won't say a word. Cause if that, if that Turkey is down and on the ground and moving around and he isn't, spooked and he's not running the other way there's no reason to try i mean you can try to coax him i mean sometimes we only have an afternoon to hunt so you you're kind of forced to make the action happen and i love taking the fight to a bird and sometimes i'll just crawl after him like because i'm out there to to kill him right i'm not out there to watch him right even though i I love doing it but I'm, i'm out there to kill him and sometimes you have to force the issue but the really good turkey hunters, even though they're world champion callers and they have world titles on the wall, um, calling isn't the number one thing in their arsenal. I would say it's patience and understanding how and when to move and where to set up. They understand those put you in a place to call, and then you can use calling if if needed. If that makes sense. It does make sense. And I'm going to ask you an impossible question, but I'm hoping for some kind of (laughs) guideline. (laughs) Um, I think people listening will say, okay, that makes sense. I shouldn't overcall. But how do I know when I'm overcalling? Is there anything, any guideline or something to keep in mind for folks to help them know when they're at that line when they, okay, I should probably stop or this is maybe this is too much. Like, ah, anything to help people there. The only thing I can think of is if you, if, if you can see turkeys, you know, if you're, if you're calling to a gobbler or if you're calling to a, a hand up gobbler where essentially you're talking to the hens, you have to read their body language. I mean, so if you call too much, and those birds start working away from you, or if, or if you call once and, they, and that hen takes off the other way, that'd be a good indicator to me, hey, I'm not going to call. And then the next day, like if, if I live to hunt the next day where I don't booger them out of there too bad, I understand the next time I go in, I, I don't need to be calling. I need to set up, and, and that's where scouting and understanding how terrain and habitat and food sources come into play, and hopefully you understand their daily travel pattern and use that to your advantage. Calling, calling more than anything is just a way to seal the deal. There so you. if you can see tur- if you can see turkeys, I mean, reading their body language can help you understand how much to call. If you can't see the birds, man, if if you have a gobbler responding and he's cutting you off at every step of the way, um, or even if, if he gobbles once and he double gobbles and cuts off a yelp. Sometimes I won't even call anymore. He knows where you're at. You know, so you, you don't ever want to overdo it. I don't think there is such a thing as undercalling a bird, if that makes sense. I think people screw up hunts because they call too much, but I've never heard it where someone says, oh, I should have called more. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So tread lightly, less is more, and just 
you got to take everything into consideration. If no other birds around you are talking, it wouldn't be a good idea to be the loudest voice out there. Yeah. Context. I feel like a, a moral of this story is take into account the context of the situation, what's going on, what the other birds are doing. That's really helpful. Yeah. Well, Andrew, this is uh, this has been great. I appreciate you walking us through this and giving everyone a primer on turkey vocalizations. Yeah. Um, again, there's plenty of resources out there people should use. I appreciate um, the call. Hopefully someone can take something we talked about and put it to good use. Uh, but yeah, less is more. Tread lightly and shoot them in the head. That's all I got. <laughs> That's all you need to know. All right, Andrew. Yeah. Well, thank you and uh, good luck with your turkey hunting this spring. All right, Mark. Thanks for the call. All right, and that is going to do it for us today. I hope you enjoyed this one. I hope your turkey hunts are going well so far this year. Man, it feels good to be out there hearing those gobbles. I've been taking my two-year-old son out uh, without a weapon. We're just going out there to try to call him in, and it's just been a blast. And uh, I hope you're enjoying some of those same great experiences out in the wild. So until next time, thank you again for listening, and stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge, reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle.